0: Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Happy Monday. It's our weekly happy hour today on Trending. Joining me in just a moment will be Father Tim Grumbach. If you've known the show for long, you know he's been with us for many years talking about what's happening in the culture, what's happening with regard to our faith as well. We're going to talk about the fun and joy of... Donating your time. Giving your time and serving as a missionary, especially when you're single, maybe even giving a whole year if you're young, maybe just having graduated college or high school. We'll talk about that as well as a mysterious saint of the 21st century. There are 21st, 21 centuries, or sorry, 21 saints in the 21st century uh, that are recognized as Coptic martyrs, and there's one mystery saint that you may have recalled back in 2015 when some people said, "I think this man knelt down next to the rest." Of the 20 martyrs that were being uh, persecuted and were actually martyred for their faith. And we'll dive into that a little bit today because I think it's fascinating to see what would drive a man uh, to give his life for his faith in 2015, just a handful of years ago. I'm also going to talk about the joy of motherhood and how pro-life women have truly led at the forefront of the culture today, helping women to embrace motherhood. And we'll talk about the joy of sacrifice in the face of the feast day of Our Lady of Fatima this weekend, May 13th. You're listening to Trending with Tim Murray. Joining me now is Father Tim Grumbach from Bishop Alameni High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. He also serves with numerous young youth and young adult focused ministries including net ministries young catholic professionals he works a little bit with the sisters of saint paul as well in the life team father tim welcome back to trending
1: so good to be back as always and i'm just back at alimany this week i was with net ministries actually last week as their missionaries wrapped up their mission year and i'm looking forward to uh, sharing a little bit more about that later
0: Yes. Let's actually talk about that because I know, you know, you and I have discussed how important it is to spend time, especially during your single years before you're married and being formed by service, giving yourself in service. And I know that NET Ministries is one of those organizations that gives people, especially youth, an opportunity to step into that role, whether giving a few months or a year of their time. Can you talk a little bit about NET and what you were doing with them this, this last week?
1: Oh, absolutely. I'd love to give a little shout out to NET Ministries, especially NET USA, which is what I've done most of my work with. But they are all over the world. There's NET Canada and NET Ireland and NET Australia. Uh, NET Ministries has grown and grown ever since they were founded. I think it was 1981. And so they're older than I am. And it's really beautiful to see a lot of the missionaries actually have parents who were missionaries. And I keep joking with the younger missionaries, like, I wonder how long before you all start having children. And we start seeing grandbabies who are doing net. And so (laughs) it's a beautiful thing to see that it's been growing as long as it has. Uh, But this week that I was with them at their headquarters in West St. Paul in Minnesota was for the missionaries who are coming off of the road. Some of them uh, travel around in vans. And one of the missionaries said that over the last couple of years, she's been to, I think she said, like 30 different states. So she has wow. been all over the place. Uh, but they go and they do retreats for middle schoolers and high schoolers. And while they're out on the road, they live in a, a, together as a team in host homes. Usually the teams are about 10 to 12. But this year, it was a little difficult to get missionaries over the last couple of years with COVID and recovering from that. So the teams were about eight each. And so they were doing a lot of work and a lot of retreats. And they'll do like upwards of over 100 retreats during a year traveling around. And I was able to bring our Southern California regional team here to Alamany for six day retreats during the year. So I got to know the team well. And it was just a joy to catch up not just with the team I was familiar with, but all I think 13 teams uh, that have been on the road and or have been in parishes over the last year. So it's was, it was a time for them to really recover and uh, get ready to go back mm-hmm. home because it's mm-hmm. not easy to uh, leave for the road, but it's also not easy coming back off the road and to go back home. So that's what I was doing this yeah. last week, and it was really refreshing for me, too.
0: And Father Tim, for those who don't know, you mentioned that a lot of these Net Missionaries have been traveling all over the country. What do they do for those who aren't aware?
1: Yeah, so they, they, run, they set up and they run retreats uh, for middle schoolers and high schoolers. And so some of the retreats that they do are just a single day. Uh, I know that some of them they were doing like class period long retreats, and so they would do like you know an hour and a half retreat for each class during a school day. So just mini retreats. So they're they're very flexible, uh, very adaptable to whatever the circumstances might be. But uh, they they will stay at a parish or at host homes, and then travel th- uh, from there over a few days to do different retreats in different areas. And it's all about evangelizing uh, the young people in the country today. And the numbers say they reached 90,000 teenagers. And that's just Net USA. But 90,000 teenagers throughout this year uh, they did retreats for. And they have just incredible stories. During lunch times and dinner times, they would share glory stories during this last week. And there are some incredible stories of the way that God is moving the hearts of our young people. Uh, and how many of those young people then want to become Net missionaries to move the hearts of the young people coming the generation after them. It is uh, amazing work that they're doing, but it comes down to uh, creating a space where young people can retreat in the busyness of life right now, Mm -hmm. uh, in the busyness of their schoolwork, and have a space where they can encounter God. That's what it's about. And so they're called nets because these are the, the National Evangelization Teams is that they're they're going all over the country and the goal is that teens can have an encounter with Christ. You know, no no other agenda than that, that they might have an encounter with Christ and that their families might be transformed through that as well.
0: And these are all done through retreats that include praise and worship, adoration, talks, Bible studies, and really going deep in their faith. And it's neat to see how the missionaries are transformed by this as well. I find over the last handful of years, Father Tim, the millennial generation, Gen Z, will often talk about taking a gap year. I'm going to go travel Mm -hmm. the world and all these different things they want to do now. It's fascinating when you look at Gen Z, who just doesn't want to work in many respects. You know, they want to find Mm -hmm. jobs that are work from home that really don't require them to work much at all, yet receive a full-time salary, and I think this idea of work ethic in many ways has been lost, but also the formation of the individual, especially as Catholics, has been lost. There's a lot of grit that I think young people are missing today, and I see programs such as Net Ministries, Focus, a lot of these programs out there that are giving young adults, uh, young Catholics, this opportunity to give that year of donating their time, and they're being radically transformed. And I'd like to just speak to that a little bit. I know a lot of you know young people are already maybe signing papers intending to go away to college next year or maybe transitioning into a new job, yet there's something to be said of taking that year or even the summer to do missionary work and how transformative it is for the individual who is volunteering that time.
1: Yeah, and the amazing thing is that they yeah, they are changed and they are transformed by this experience, but they also give the teens that they're serving a, a glimpse into a, a Christian life that is exciting and thrilling and demands something of them. Right? Their, their only experience of the demand of Christian life might be that they have to wake up on Sundays and go to Mass, you know, right. that, to be honest. But then they get to see that these young people have... Uh, given up, not even really given up, but yeah, they, they have, in a sense, given up uh, an opportunity to be successful in other ways or productive in other ways and said, no, this, that other people encounter Christ is more important to me during this year than anything else. And so that is a sacrifice to make. And um, so while they are transforming the communities that they enter into, these young people are being transformed themselves. So uh, what I love most about this wrap-up week, this, you know, this final week of their mission year, is that you know, I was kind of naive the first time I, I joined them for this week. I was like, oh, I, I can't wait to see uh, how whole they have been made by this experience, how full they are of God's love. And they come back, and they're, they're wounded, uh, whatever it might be. Not to go into too many details, but sometimes they, they, they have had a difficult time with teammates, uh, living in such a close proximity with somebody for 10 months. Maybe they've been in, had an illness or they have lost someone in their family and had to go back for a funeral or um, you know there's a lot that they miss in their family's life by taking this time off but that is a sacrifice that transforms them and they come back to this wrap-up week and they're just in need of healing and mm-hmm. so myself and a few other priests often we join just to be there for the sacraments for mm-hmm. confession uh, anointing of the sick if they need it and uh, and so it's just one of the most beautiful things is to see the sacrifices they make Knowing that they're going to come back empty, and they need this time to be to be filled up in prayer, and I could just go on and on and on. I don't want to turn this into mm. a, a net recruiting session, but uh, you can say this about any missionary group, especially over the last few years, mm. is that while so many businesses have suffered and gone under because of uh, certain protocols of uh, and and COVID uh, cautions and safeties and protections, that you know, the missionary. Uh, life i'm i'm watching it grow over these last few years because young young people have uh, this desire for community and for sharing it and for sacrifice and they want to find a christian life that demands Mm -hmm. something of them Mm -hmm. lets them go where no one else is willing to go and to be transformed by that so i i had the opportunity when i was their age to go and and serve on net But I couldn't drag myself away from the beach because I was so obsessed (laughs) with surfing, to be honest. I share that Mm -hmm. with them every year. But it it also gives me a chance to share with them how much I appreciate that they're doing what I couldn't. And -hmm. now I have an opportunity to serve them. And that's a Mm -hmm. demand that Jesus is making of me. And it gives me life. So I can only imagine the kind of life that they do ultimately have once they have a chance to recover and to be made whole again after such a demanding year of service.
0: Oh, for me... Being involved in missionary programs was so fundamental uh, during those single years before I got married. You know, I didn't get married until I was about 27, and they formed me. They detached me from things. You know, even, you know, for me, it was also, you know, I didn't have a place to live that, you know, unless, of course, you know, I could always live with my family, but some of the work I was being called to was in a different location at that time. And, you know, being able to kind of be detached, recognize, you know, being dependent upon the hospitality of other people at times, um, following where God has called you and you've discerned uh, to work. For me, it was a lot of pro-life work at that time and working with, you know, at the time, you know, hosting a radio program as well. It really teaches, you know, simplicity, I would say, detachment from income, seeing things as provisions versus money to be spent even kind of how relationships are, you know, cultivated in learning, I think, and growing with other people. Like you said, you know, a lot of the missionaries came back somewhat wounded, you know, and broken from having served for the year. You know, many ways, you're filled up, but in many ways, you're torn down from how much you give yourself. And yet, that is, I think, in so many ways, the model of what Christ is calling us to, you know, go all the way, take yourself to the foot of the cross, such as Our Lady, such as John, the apostle and be willing to follow Christ in that detachment, but to be completely filled up by him. And what better way, Father Tim, than to be prepared for your vocation? You mentioned, you know, them having children one day, whether it be marriage or children. It's in serving, I think, that we really come to discover ourselves. And Jesus Christ himself said, he, he, God, the God of the universe came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life the ransom of many. And I think that's a very significant, if we can come to that, understanding in our young adult years before starting families, before getting married, it it helps tremendously in that mindset in whatever place we may find ourselves in, even religious life or in the workforce.
1: Yeah, and a lot of relationships, beautiful, fruitful relationships do come out of serving a mission year, no matter whom I'm working with, NET, uh, LIFE, TEEN, FOCUS. Uh, Culture project, all of these these young people that I that I dearly love, I get to watch them, uh, you know, kind of fall in love too, you know, with Jesus, yes. Um, but with one another and you know, they are called to, you know sometimes they call it a dating fast or just a, a year where they commit themselves not to forming any new relationships. And I think that's the best way to call it is a, a time where they get to focus on their relationship with Jesus and serve others from that place. But these attractions inevitably happen and it's beautiful to walk with them during that time to, to be reminded, look, if you're falling in love with somebody, that's not a bad thing. The devil will try to twist it into a bad thing. But what Jesus wants you to do is just focus on your relationship with him during this time so that you'll be formed into a better person when you have the time and the space to pursue that relationship and to be pursued by that person. And so it's a a beautiful uh, part to be able to walk through with them, but it comes with its challenges. And uh, one of the passages I've been praying with so much lately is when Jesus asks the man who's been sick for 38 years, who's next to the pool of water, who wants to be healed physically, he asks the man, do you want to be well? Or even better translated, do you want to be whole? And like we would hear Jesus ask that question, like, of course. Like The answer is yes, you know it already, Jesus. And I just find Jesus keeps asking these questions throughout the Gospels that are meant less to get information out of us than to reveal in our own hearts our desire for healing. And so it's so beautiful to hear them ask these questions, like, what was Jesus doing in my heart during this year? relationship-wise and and in my own relationship with him. And I I asked them back, like, would you have preferred to get to the end of this year and not heard Jesus ask you that question, do you want to be whole? It is good that you've encountered something that needs healing. And now we get to (laughs) let that work begin. So it's, it's such a beautiful thing to be a part of.
0: And it's a place to encounter living in that grace-filled life with the grace of Christ flowing in you through the sacraments. That's possible through daily receiving your Lord Jesus Christ in Holy Communion, regularly going to confession. That's what a lot of these programs help to foster in the missionaries themselves that then ushers them into being the leaders by how they live their lives in the culture. And I think of programs such as, you know, Net Ministries, Focus Ministries, Culture Project, you are know, getting involved in your local community in various nonprofits. I was just talking to someone over the last couple months, whose sister is serving full-time in a maternity home right now, helping to care for women who otherwise would have chosen abortion and to care for their children as well. So there are many things that you can do uh, to serve and have that time, whether it's a summer or a year. Uh, For me, I spent a whole summer one year with a religious community just being formed in the sacraments, and we spent four to six hours a day in prayer and multiple hours a day in studies, just forming us to be equipped to be living that contemplative life, in many ways that religious are called to, you know, through all of the prayer and the moments of prayer that are taken as a pause for priests and religious sisters throughout the day, that we too as a lady can learn to enter into that Benedictine mindset or at labor, you know, work and prayer and the combination, the two together, that there's grace and sanctification in what we do. I think that's transformative. I know it has been for me going into marriage and my motherhood, and it has been for many other people as well. Father Tim, Grumbach here on Trending with Tim He is a chaplain at Bishop Alamini High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Father Tim, I want to come back and talk about a mysterious martyr uh, who died just eight years ago who's been recognized by the Catholic Church. We'll talk a little bit more about that and the joy in giving our lives today on our weekly happy hour. If there's anything getting in the way of your happiness and you'd like to ask Father Tim, talk about it. The number is 888- 914-9149. And thank you so much if you supported us during our pledge drive last week and donated or prayed for us. We're so grateful. And if you'd still like to support us, you can donate online at relevantradio.com. That's relevantradio.com. You're listening to Trending with Timree, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome to our weekly happy hour today on Trending. If you have a comment, question about what's getting in the way of your happiness, we'd be happy to take it. Number is 1-888-914-9149. Joining me today is Father Tim Grumbach. He's a chaplain at... Bishop Alumini High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Father Tim, recent news came out of the Vatican that is the recognition of 21 Coptic Christian martyrs actually being enrolled into the celebration throughout the year that we have of the various martyrs. Now, this is significant because these martyrs I think all of us should know about, they were all beheaded back in 2015. There was a viral video along with screenshots of these 21 men kneeling before the beach with their backs to the ocean. And quite a thing was made of it by the Islamic State at the time. And I want to talk a little bit about this. It was on the beach in Libya in 2015, and they were canonized martyrs days later by the Coptic Orthodox Church. And Pope Francis has recently announced them being actually put into and included in the Roman martyrology. And I'd like to talk a little bit about one of them in particular, who's been a little bit of a mystery man over the years. And I think lots of stories and arguably, in some ways, legends have started to circulate about this man.
1: Yeah, his name is Matthew Ayriga, and uh, you, know, you can ask the questions: you know, Where was he born? What was his hometown? What religious community did he belong to? And honestly, we don't know a lot of those things, uh, and so that's you know that says a lot about the saints. Don't need to be big personalities that we know everything about, uh, and so we don't know very much about him. We can assume that maybe he was in his twenties or his thirties when this happened. Um, But what we do know most about him is, as the story goes, is that he was working with these uh, construction workers, uh, the other 20 of the martyrs, and uh, when they were taken uh, by the Islamic State, terrorists, that he, uh, he had the opportunity, he was going to be let go, because you know, not only does he look different from the rest of them, but you know, most probably comes from a very different cultural background, they probably assumed he was not a Christian himself, and so they wanted to let him go, but when asked you know, you know, what his religion was, he said, their God, those other 20, those Coptic Christians, their God is my God. And that's all we know about him. Those are the only words that we know about him. And that's incredible to me is, you know, even if we knew everything else about him, uh, what his Christian upbringing would have been like, even if there was any, you know, what country he's from, what his hometown is like, what his family is like, even if we knew all about that, the most important thing that we can know about him is that he said, their God is my God.
0: And he was willing to die for this. That's very significant. It reminds me in many ways of the book of Ruth, you know, that relationship between mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. And when, you know, the husbands all die of the two girls, one of the girls leaves and Naomi stays, right? And to see that story, I think is so significant of that conversion that can occur. And for her, it was a story of fidelity to the God of her husband and of her mother-in-law. But here's this man we know so little about, And in some ways, Father Tim, it's similar to many of the saints of history that we often will find out, you know, they made this very public declaration in some way, usually by their death and martyrdom of their faith that made them a saint. But we don't know a lot about their lives that led up to that point. And it leads us to just speculate and question what made it so that this man was willing on the beach when he had an opportunity to walk away. Literally, I mean, the men in this Islamic State initially believed that he was not a Christian. They were going to release him. And he said, their God is my God. And he, along with all of them, were beheaded at the same time on the beach. And that's so profound that he went to that point when that may or may not have been his past to even know Christ per se. Maybe he was just influenced by the 20 construction workers he was with. Maybe he grew up Catholic or some form of of Protestant, we actually have no idea. Uh, maybe it was just because of the influence of the friendships of those 20 other men or what he was seen in terms of the persecution at that time in the Middle East. Uh, the speculation is so significant. What does that mean to you, Father Tim?
1: Mm, uh, it, it means so much is that this has been happening throughout the history of Christianity, so we'd better pay attention to these uh, these people that don't seem to be christians in the way that we are and yet they're the ones who are already saints and so we have a, a tremendous le- lesson to learn about uh, finding out who we are by looking at the people who have made a gift of their own life you know thinking about Jesus' own words the night before he died is you know he said that there will be those who seek to kill you thinking that they're offering worship to god that they're serving god by killing you but moments before that jesus says but there is no greater love than to give yourself uh, to give up your own life for the sake of your brothers. And so it, it actually makes me think about um, this beautiful, it's one of, it was one of St. John Paul II's favorite passages from second, uh, the Second Vatican Council from Gaudium et Spes, 24, where it, you know, it points out that you know, Jesus had a desire that we all be, would be one as he and the Father are one, which means there's something built into us, something uh, that, that God builds upon us with his grace, that we can live in such a way that we resemble the eternal love between the Father and the Son, and that that's the way that we were made. And so it says that, you know, we're the only creature on earth which God has willed for itself, and we cannot find, fully find ourselves except through the sincere gift of self. And so that's why I keep thinking about that. This, you know, you know, we can call him St. Matthew because he made a gift of his own life. And while the world will look at that and say, what a tragedy, what a waste of a life. How could they take his life like that? You know, this young man can now say, like Jesus, you know, maybe not for the, the exact same reasons that Jesus died on the cross, but he can say with Jesus, they don't take my life, I give it freely. And that's why it's so important, because this has been happening since the beginning of the church, because it reveals Jesus's love most clearly. And Jesus's love on the cross reveals the Father's love most clearly. So we had better pay attention when even people who don't seem to have a deep Christian foundation to their lives do what Christ did out of love for Christ and his people.
0: My sisters and I had gone through a season of making a bunch of canvases where we would paint things on them or write different quotes, and I actually put this quote from Gaudi Mitzvahs on it, and it's so, I think, profound for me, and I'll read it again, Father Tim, that you were talking about. Man is the only creature on earth which God willed for itself. And this person cannot fully find himself except through a sincere gift of himself. What does that mean? Kind of understanding that we will never be happy. I think this is the story of happiness. How will we be happy? Well, you'll be truly joyful when you live a grace-filled life where you're literally willing to give yourself for another human being, to give yourself as a gift. And there are many ways we could discuss that being shown or lived out uh, through our holy priests, through good fathers, through good mothers through even obedient children who are willing to do the right thing to please their parents and to love Christ. I see that even in the story of the three children, the three visionaries of Fatima, who we were just celebrating this weekend, and that sacrifice that they lived. I think of even Jacinta, who was only about seven-ish years old Mm -hmm. when the apparitions of Our Lady began, and here these little children are, literally not eating for a whole day, pasturing a flock of sheep, giving their food away, refusing even, to drink water in the squelching sun, that that takes a tremendous amount of faith in order to make that gift of self. And that ultimate gift was shown by this very young martyr on the beach just eight years ago in the Middle East.
1: Yeah, and the only reason, the only thing that can make any sense of this is love. And it's the love that Jesus speaks of when he says there is no greater love than this. Uh, I'm still thinking about how my Lent went and how difficult the fasting was that I took on. So I'm not going to tell you exactly what I did, (laughs) but I can tell you that by the end of it, I was emptied out quite a bit. And I found myself thinking, I could only do that one day at a time, and it was only because I was trying to love Jesus through it. I was trying to get to know him better through it. If it was just because I was trying to prove something, I would have failed miserably day in and day out. But it's because it was a spiritual way of making a gift to myself there was space for God to fill his grace into my life and get me through that Lent. You know, with all the loss that uh, that I encountered in family and friends and other relationships in my communities, it was tough. But the only reason that could keep me going was because I was attempting to do it as an act of love. And so there's no, again, no good reason for, for this young man, Matthew, to have said their God is my God, except that he... He knew these men and he loved them enough to choose to die with them when he could have gone home to safety. So I I can think of no other reason, the, the world could not possibly think of any reason that this would make sense, except that it was something done out of love so that he could give himself for people that he dearly loved.
0: Let's talk for a moment about conviction because I think that's what we need to develop to If we are called to one day make that sacrifice that this young man made that made him become a martyr, regardless of whether or not he was even Christian or Catholic beforehand, the church has actually recognized, and this is part of the catechism of the Catholic church, the baptism by blood. And that is where conviction is so deeply held that someone actually receives the gifts, the benefits of baptism when they are willing to actually enter into their death foreign with Christ. And so that is why this man whom we don't know if he was Catholic, Protestant, or whatever before his death on the beach there that day and being killed by Islamic terrorists and by the Islamic state in 2015, that is what makes it so that we can celebrate his, him as a martyr because he had conviction. And I think that that's what should be inspired, wouldn't you say, in each of us, Father Tim, conviction?
1: Mm, oh, absolutely. And it's not something we just choose on our own. It is something that has to be a grace and something that is gifted to us um, by seeing the conviction of others. I mean, that's that's essential. Uh, I think of another story that's somewhat similar to this. Again, like I've been saying, this has been happening throughout Christian history ever since the beginning. Is that Another great example is the Martyrs of Sebast. And that was, I, if I remember correctly, around the time of uh, St. Blaise, who was actually a bishop in, in Sebast. And... During that time, uh, it was the Arian persecution, I believe, and the, the, the heresy of, Arian, of Arius was making its way deeply into the, the, the ranks of the church, not the church itself, but into the ranks of the hierarchy. And these soldiers, these 40 soldiers of Sebast were very faithful men leaving their homes and the sacraments to go into battle. And it came to be known that they were Christians and they were rounded up and they were thrown onto a, a, a frozen lake and promised you know hot baths and and warm fires if they would just denounce Christ but they refused every last one of them except for one and one went running to the hot bath and the fire and as soon as he jumped in he died from shock and one of the the guards who was you know looking over these soldiers was so convicted by that by that man's cowardice if you will and the conviction of the other 39 that he took off his, his armor, threw down his weapons, and went out onto the lake with the rest of them. He was never baptized, but through his desire to, for their gods to be his God, and to, to live that eternal life that was not promised by the empire. Mm, he became a Christian mm-hmm. through blood, and mm-hmm. that is very much uh, just as powerful, um, if not the ordinary means of salvation, just as powerful a means of salvation of those who have that desire to be conformed to Christ.
0: Now, what's significant about the story is that th- I remember back in 2015, that was the ac- initial rumor that Matthew Ayuriga actually saw all these men who were being beheaded and that he knelt down next to them and was willing to die with them. And then as the years have gone on, we've heard a little bit more detail that what we do know, we don't know his past. We know he was working alongside these other men, but he was willing at that time to say, my God is their God and die with them. Uh, but that initial story, similar to the one you just told of the martyrs of Beset at that time, right? Martyrs of Bassette, is that it?
1: Oh, a uh, Sebast.
0: A uh, Sebast, sorry. Uh, yeah. that, they, that the one will, was willing to lay down his life like the others because of what he witnessed in the others. And it makes you ask the question, who are your friends? Who do you surround mm-hmm. yourself with? Who do you spend time with day to day? I know we live in a culture, Father Tim, that is so challenging and to be Catholic is countercultural if we are living out our faith. The rubber (laughs) meets the road in a lot of instances in the workplace, in your immediate family, in your extended family, where these squabbles come up in many respects, where you have to stand your ground and stand strong in your faith with love and grace and charity, and often in silence and humility as well, and other times boldly and loudly. And... You have to really ponder, who am I spending time with who will shape me and form me to be prepared to make a similar sacrifice?
1: Yeah, I love that you brought up friendship and how important it is to making that sacrifice and to growing in holiness, really. is I've been thinking a lot about this the last couple of weeks, actually, is the role of friendship in holiness and you know, especially working with teenagers all the time, I, I see all kinds of different friendships and relationships. I've seen them fall apart because of silly things. I've seen them fall apart because of serious hurts. And uh, what I've found is that you know, sometimes we define friendship as you know, these are the people I spend time with. <laughs> these are these are the people I know best. And we might say things like, "I spend all my time with this person," or "I know everything about that person." Like. I don't even know everything about myself. You know? <laughs> the beauty of who God created me to be is unfolding throughout this whole life and will be so through eternity. And so how how could I possibly think that I know everything about this other person? And so I would say friendship is almost the unfolding of this mystery that we are exploring together and ultimately our relationship with God. And so it is the people who, like Gaudi Metzbess say, is that they they make a sincere gift of themselves and that's what they know about themselves. These are the people worth searching out as friends and this is what makes us, uh, I wouldn't say worthy of friendship, but what makes us good friends is that we understand that we are a deep mystery. This is the way that God has made us so that his eternal love can live with us forever. And so we begin to experience that and express that through the friendships that we have now and anything else that would fall apart because we don't do the same things anymore or, or because you know our, our business relationship is over. If those relationships remain, it's because that desire to uh, explore the mystery of who we are, as as knowing ourselves through self-gift, it sounds grand, but it's, what, it's the only kind of relationship that sustains in this world and into the next.
0: If you want to discover how to live that gift of self, I would argue the simplest way, the place to begin, is a Eucharistic way. Recognizing that the Eucharist is the greatest gift, Jesus Christ himself who came down and gives himself physically to us, and the holy sacrifice offered of the Mass. And so go and receive our Lord Jesus Christ, but receive Him worthily. Go to conf- confession, regularly go to confession, and receive Him as often as you can. Maybe it's a couple extra days a week, you can go to daily Mass. Maybe it's also praying a spiritual communion because you can't receive Him at this time, but you wish to be united to Him physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, that total union to Christ. The Eucharist is a source and summon of our faith that will help you to make that gift of self and to help you discern where you are being called to give yourself in the culture. That's when Father Tim Grumbach here on Trending with Timory. Thank you so much for joining us, Father. We've tagged him on social media, and in the episode notes, you can also find other episodes where, father tim has joined us here on trending i'll be right back during our weekly happy hour we're going to discuss how pro-life women have helped women to embrace motherhood i'll share with you how because i think this is significant on the heels of mother's day and we'll talk about discovering joy in sacrifice in light of the feast day we celebrated this weekend of our lady of fatima listening to Trending with Timree, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome back to our weekly happy hour today on Trending. If you supported us over the last week during our pledge drive, we were seeking to raise $3 million to continue to do the work we do here at Relevant Radio with all of our programs, and we needed to cover basic operating costs, and thanks to your generosity and prayers, we did it. If you want to donate still, though, you can still donate. We are working, Father Rocky shared last week, that we're trying to buy six more radio stations to grow the work we're doing across the nation. So you can still donate to what we are doing by calling 877-291-0123. I'll give that number one more time. It's 877-291-0123. We'll post that on social media as well. You can also donate very easily, securely online relevantradio.com. relevantradio.com. We still do have some gifts we can give to you as a thank you for supporting the work we're doing. So you can head over there and check those out as well. You're listening to Trending with Timmery here on Relevant Radio, coming off the heels of celebrating two very special days this weekend, one being the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, whose apparition occurred just a little more than 100 years ago. It's always been significant to me because my grandmother uh, was born in 1919. actually wore her wedding dress for my wedding, and the apparitions of Our Lady Fatima occurred just a couple years before that in 2017. I always thought that was so significant to me that this was only, you know, it's within our grasp in terms of the generations whom we have known and encountered and interacted with. I mean, this would have been world news for them that they would have heard via slower communication, not the instant communication we have, and how magnificent it was, and how they wouldn't have learned about it by looking at online images the way we do, but they'd be hearing it through oral stories written in the newspaper, even, you know, as the radio really became a thing, hearing about it via the radio, even potentially, depending on where they were at, how significant that would have been in the mystery of the miracle, of the sun, the realization, the apparitions of Our Lady. I want to talk in just a moment about the joy of sacrifice that I think Our Lady really taught those three young visionaries, but before we do, we also celebrated this weekend Mother's Day, and the two going side by side were very significant for me to just ponder, especially, you know, being a mom of just a couple little ones now over the last couple of years, and pondering the pro-life work I've had the opportunity to be involved in in my own home, and how for me, I started to do pro-life work because of the example that my mom set. And I'm so grateful that she set that example as I was a young girl growing up, effortlessly working to help women become mothers and to protect their babies. I was writing about this this weekend on social media and how profound it is to me when I look at the culture right now that says, your worth is somewhere else as a woman. Don't be a mom. Don't become a mom. Don't do it now. And if you are a mom, your worth isn't a nine-to-five job or more hours than that, and it's not in being present and raising your children. The culture tells us that. Our peers tell us that. Even family members may tell you that. And truly, I think we as women tend to tell ourselves that as well, and we can be so distracted rejecting this idea of being a full-time mother, especially for the needs of children, and also the pulls, right, of needing uh, provisions for our home. There are a lot of things pulling in different directions. We could talk about student loans and student loan debt. Uh, So many things contribute to this topic. But what I have seen firsthand through the many women who have worked in the pro-life movement for years, women and men, but especially women, they have helped to equip women to be mothers in ways that are so profound, not just helping them to choose life, but helping them through the circumstances that led them to even consider ending the life of their child. That helped, even helping to navigate the circumstances that led a woman to become so detached from the child she carries. These pro-life women have mentored women into motherhood, stood alongside them, walked with them. I think of the maternity home that my parents helped to open in for a season that they even moved into and helped to run when no one else was able or willing to. I was just a little girl. I was a only child at that time. My other siblings hadn't come. And I remember being there in the home as my parents were helping, you know, as these house parents with these women who had been in the most trying of circumstances. I remember one woman who came from the drug cartel and was looking for a short season safe haven so that she could have her baby and place him for adoption while she was hiding. From the drug cartel. You know, I think of so many circumstances of these women who came into this home and the, the joy of motherhood that as a young girl I would see women enter into delighting in their children and the gift of those children. How that would not be possible if it weren't for the generous gift of many people in the pro life movement, especially women and mothers. Who are willing through their own motherhood, exercising their spiritual motherhood to mother and equip other women. The feminist culture that we live in today, the world ourselves as women say our worth is everywhere else. But I really see how pro life women have called mothers back into the unique gift of their motherhood, saying, Yes, you can do it. Motherhood is a gift that you have and a gift to be given to your children. The sacrifice is most poignant at times. You're forming souls. It's one of the greatest challenges. It's the greatest job I think any one woman could take on for that particular child who is her child. But it's only possible, and I think that this was really driven home by the fact that we had the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima this weekend at the same time as we're celebrating motherhood, and that is that the sacrifice of motherhood is impossible. The world knows that. That's why the world tells women, you're better somewhere else. Not because their worth is better somewhere else, but because it's so hard. It's so humiliating. It's so exhausting. It's so overwhelming at times that the world says, here, choose a more comfortable path. And not that a job is easy, but that the more comfortable path often is to reject the very mission we have been given in motherhood and how through the pro-life movement, through these pro-life voices of so many women, I have seen them practically taking the shirts off of their backs in order to equip women to choose life and to be mentored into their motherhood. And so by looking to Our Lady in This celebration of Our Lady of Fatima this weekend over Mother's Day weekend, I kept thinking about how women don't think they can do it. They don't want to do it because when we don't have that total reliance on the grace of Jesus Christ and that model of imitation of Mary, we will not succeed at it. But if we see Christ, that call to cruciform love, to sacrificial love, if we see it modeled in the perfect human being of Our Lady we can do it. And that was what was so significant last week during Pledge Week when we were offering this icon of Our Lady and we had the gift of the scapulars. Our Lady is that image of sacrificial love. So gently, humbly, and lovingly done. It's significant that Our Lady doesn't say a lot of words in sacred scripture. And I think part of that, along with St. Joseph's model, is the humility of the grit that they engaged in, the challenge of being parents but with great love. It wasn't a sacrifice of complaint. It wasn't a, sacri- it wasn't a means of rejection and saying, no, no, I should go over here and do something else. It was of utter sacrifice. They showed by their example. And that's why I think bringing these icons of Our Lady, St. Joseph, of Jesus, the child Jesus into our home set a very important precedence for us throughout our day. I know for me as a mom, often turning to the icons within our home, in every room, and there's not one in my bathroom right now. And there needs to be one because there was one in our old house, but we still haven't put up all of our decorations since we moved. I only moved eight months pregnant and had a baby, so I'm giving myself some grace there still for all the boxes sitting in my tent. Still, there are three, three left. God willing, we'll will do them this weekend. Uh, but those icons are truly transformative if we can allow them to lead us to greater devotion and admiration. We live in a culture that we love influencers. We love social media. We love seeing the pictures of other people. Often, unfortunately, we reduce all of this, though, to a comparison game. Comparing ourselves to others, and that's how we look at icons. Let's compare ourselves to the image of the perfection of Our Lady and Jesus Christ and the Holy Family. And ask God to fill us with the grace to meet that vision and mission. It was interesting. I was actually uh, looking through social media over the weekend. And I came across an interview with the childhood actress, Hilary Duff, who's also known for many things in her adult life as well. And it's interesting because if you followed her life, she's married, stayed married, and she has three children now. But she was doing an interview on a, a podcast called Lipstick on the Rim. And she was being asked if she misses singing because she's not doing all the things that she used to do. She can sing, she can act, among many other things. And she hasn't been singing. And the host of the podcast asked, do you miss singing? And immediately, you know, in this conversation about, you know, motherhood and when people after you have kids say, hey, what's the next thing that you're going to do after you have a kid? This was her response. I always get a little bummed out when I finish a project and someone's like, what's next? What's next? What's next? I'm like, what's next? I'm going to go be a part of my family. Yeah. You know, and I'm going to take a minute, figure out what's next. I'm not just like pipeline lining it up like I want to breathe for a second and I want to be doing all, packing all the bags and the lunches and the sports and the driving and it's super important to me. And I think you either kind of have that or you don't. Like I think some people are like you know even for for me like trying to act or I'm like I don't want to go sit in a trailer and be gone for nine months. No. Like yeah. not with them being so little. I was really ast- astonished by this conversation that Childhood actress Hilary Duff had, uh, with this host of the podcast that, you know, when she's being asked, you do you miss singing? Do you miss all those things? You know, you've had three children now. What next? And what do you say when people say that? What wasn't in that podcast that she said first, I love my kids. And then she goes on saying, I hate it when people keep asking me, what's next? What more are you going to do? I think we live in such a progress-oriented culture that once you have a child, once you accomplish something, education, career, whatever it might be, it's always what's next. And there's this pressure on women today to say, I'm going to run in any and every other direction rather than saying, you know what, I'm going to delight in motherhood. I'm going to delight in the joy of the daily grind, but doing it with great love and sacrifice. She mentions that I love taking my kids to and from everything from school to you know educational after curricular activities, packing their lunches, helping to nourish and care for them. I know a lot of people throw back at I me mean, I always hear this when I discuss this topic. That's privilege speaking. Sure, in an example such as someone such as Hillary Duff, yes, but there are countless men and women who choose to make that a priority within their home. It is what we're called to biologically as women. We have the physical capacity to nourish and care for our children. And the radical feminist culture of the last 60 or so years has been the only thing that has changed the historical precedence of us raising our own children as women. And you know, even if you go back to the time of the apparitions of Our Lady of Fatima, she talked about the greatest sins people commit today are sins of the flesh. We're talking about sins in terms of how and what we do with our bodies that in many ways don't just disrespect and disregard the gift of intimacy, the marital act, but it, dis- it discards children because we say not now, not this timing, or never. And those sins of the flesh are physically also killing young children today rather than the pro-life culture that I've seen. And this is what this great celebration of motherhood on Mother's Day has always been about for me. It's a celebration in many ways of that yes of women in the pro-life movement who have been forming and shaping and equipping women in an anti-mother culture to embrace motherhood, to work through their own wounds that are getting in the way of motherhood, to work through their own circumstances that makes it difficult for some women to say yes. That even gets in the way of women, we ourselves, rejecting this idea of motherhood. Saying that I, I I can't do it. Or saying I should be somewhere else. Or I'm miserable. You know, a lot of women sometimes on Mother's Day want to do away with their children and get away. And to them, that's the Mother's Day. And justifiably, some women do need a break. A lot of women do need a break. But also there's that joy of saying, no, I love my children. I want to be with my children. And I think that that's what we've been talking about all hour today as we talk about discovering that gift of self and what Our Lady at Fatima and those apparitions taught to those three young children. I actually want to talk about that more tomorrow here on the show, of the sacrifices they made and how transformative that was for them, that it produced two saints out of two of them. And I'm sure Sister Lucia soon we will know will be canonized a saint in the coming years. But I hope you joined us and enjoy this happy hour. You can always listen again or share this episode by heading to RelevantRadio.com or by sharing it via the Relevant Radio app. Coming up next is the Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky. This is Timree from Trending with Timree, the first British baby with DNA from three different people and using IVF, was recently born. Going to talk about that along with what happens when a boy goes to his parents and says he's transgender, but his parents say no. I'll discuss that Tuesday on Trending. Join me daily at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.